Hello. Um, my name is Rachel Turner. Oh, I have my timer here, so I don't go over time. There it is. There, yes. Uh, my name is Rachel Turner. The accent you're hearing is Southern California, having lived in this country for 16 years. Um, I'm a bit of a mush, actually. I lived in Wales, Aberystwyth, for three years. Uh, and that's, that's the limit of anything that I have, but uh, it's enough to feel cool in Wales. Uh, I lived in Swindon. Not going to attempt an accent. Uh, Snorbins, i got to say it like that. I went to apply for the job and he had to... I was like, I'm so happy to be here at St. Albans. And this, what, this lady took me aside and was like, it's Snorbins. <laughs> Fine, Snorbins. Uh, and uh, I've lived in Hammersmith and uh, now I'm up in the North Harrogate. Uh, which doesn't have an accent. We're sort of isolated from it. Uh, and... Uh, I uh, get to spend all day every day, I've worked in churches for over 15 years as a youth pastor, family life pastor, associate pastor, children's pastor, and uh, now I get to spend full time going around and encouraging people in multi-generational church, so it's a good gig. And uh, I wanted to start by telling you a story. I have full permission for my husband to tell the story. Just want to let you know this. Uh, a while ago, my husband was whittling. I'm not sure if you know what whittling is, but my, okay, okay just checking. Uh, my husband's sort of a mountain man-y kind of guy. Like, I like eating raw meat on sticks. And he will regularly like, just like, I'm gonna go sleep in the woods. And I'm like, you go for that. Um, so he does that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and so he was, as you do, watching like Extreme Makeover Home Edition or something at, at night uh, with a stick and a knife and was, was shaping something. I don't really know what he was doing. Um, but it was midnight. I, very sensibly, responsible human being that I am, was in bed. And uh, the other thing you need to know about my husband is he does not like blood. Not a blood fan. Uh, which sort of, I would think, counteracts the mountain man image, but um, who am I? Uh, and so he... Uh, not a blood fan, but whittling at midnight. I'm not going to say I told you so, but I did warn him that it might not be wise. So I'm sleeping in bed, and here comes my husband. I'm sleeping oh so nicely. And the night before, I'm supposed to go and minister in Jersey, um, which is not islands off the coast of Spain. Uh, I thought it was. It's not. Don't come packed for the beach if you're going to Jersey Islands. I came very inappropriately dressed. So, uh, night before, he comes in, grasping his hand, very dramatic face, sheet white. I cut my hand, we need to go to the emergency room right now. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Also knowing that this could range from paper cut to thumb off. And so I stand up and he, he takes his hand off, not looking at it, like, how bad is it? And it was like, cutting vegetables in a kitchen sink, sort of, oh, like, it wasn't bad. He looks at it, oh, and faints completely. Now, I'm a good charismatic, I know how to catch people, so I leapt into action and did my catch, but we're in a confined space because it's on the side of the bed, so I caught him, there was no place to put him, so I did the twist, so I could do the twist and lay down, we all learned at Soul Survivor. You know, you sort of catch, and you're like, where do I put him, where do I put him, right there. And so, I did the catch twist. Um, catch twist is not so good if you're old like me because catch twist means I heard a pop, pop. And I froze and I was like, I don't know what to do. I have this husband and I, my back hurts. So I sort of just put him up against my body and let him slide down to the floor. And I was like, oh man, I threw my back out. Like I poked him, he was fine. He'll come around at some point, but my back went out. 
How many of you have ever had a hurt back? Can you raise your hand so I can see? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have no idea what I mean? Okay, all right, let me describe it to you. So when you've thrown your back out, it feels like someone has like cut you in half and so excruciating pain and all of a sudden it feels like none of your muscles work. So I sort of laid down, I assumed he'd come conscious at some point, which he did, uh, thankfully, and he took himself to the hospital. Shockingly, they sent him home, no treatment. Oh. Um, and so he, uh, he <laughs> went out, came back, and I woke up in the morning expecting Jesus to heal me because I cannot go and minister for three days with a bad back. But lo and behold, I wake up and I can barely walk. And if you have ever done this, you know this walk. It's the sort of, oh, 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 and you're trying to like balance the top of half of your body on the bottom half of your body because all of your muscles in your back have been like, no, I'm not working. And so you are just balanced, painful, and you can't lift anything, and you sort of walk. So I have to do this all the way onto an airplane and off an airplane. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Rachel Turner. I'm here to minister for three days. And these poor people, it was awful. First day I spent sort of dangling, spent the whole time like this on my thing, like I'll just take all of the weight on this. Um, day two, kid you not, I had to preach for five hours, um, and it was completely like this with my legs up on a chair. It was just straight to the ceiling. I had my Bible. I was clicking the notes, thing like that. It was fantastic. I did that for a whole day. Day one, they sent a masseuse to my house, which was amazing. If you've ever been in bed and then some moose, hello, I'm going to massage you until you sleep. Why, thank you very much. Uh, didn't help, but I mean, wow, I felt pampered. Day two, they uh, were like, look, we've got to get this fixed. So they take me to a chiropractor. If you have ever been to a chiropractor, it is the weirdest experience of my life. Um, also, it's exactly stereotypically the way you see it in television programs. So this guy gets me on a bench, and he's like, I'm going to realign your spine. And I'm like, mm, okay. I sort of thought it was, you know, how some things you're like, this is going to work. Give me some codeine. I will then be able to have pain go away. Take me to a chiropractor. I know what that is. Um, so he's, my legs are on his shoulders and he's spinning me around and he's taking my spine and pushing it back and forth. I have no idea what's happening. He asked me to stand up. Is it better? I'm like, no. I mean, bless. No, it's not better. So he puts me back down. He flips me around. And at some point, I feel this big pop, pop. And I stand back up and I'm like, I'm healed. <laughs> oh my goodness, everything can work. Because to be honest, I fought them on the chiropractor for one main reason. I was pretty sure that I was going to be okay. Because after you do this for a day, oh, 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 you find the balance, and all of a sudden this is normal. Morning. Oh. Yes, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I got my books. Oh, I've, I have found my groove. I can walk like this. It's fine. And I began to think that this was my new normal, and this, this new normal was fairly all right. I got it. I got it. I got it. And then I get chiropractored. Chiro I got chiropractored. Is that a real word? All right. Fine. We, we all approve chiropractored. Just so you know, if I write it in an article from now on, it's all your fault if it's wrong. Um, I got chiropractored, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, look at, I can lift things up. Look at me lifting with my legs. I could like bend over and do things. It was astonishing. And the uh, guy said, actually, I was pretty impressed with you because your uh, spine had dislocated from your pelvis. And I was like, what? <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> and uh, evidently, I really was balancing my top half on my bottom half for a significant amount of time. 
And as I came out on the Sunday morning to preach, I feel like I came out in one of those game shows. Hello, everybody! Sort of came out, and everyone who had watched me lay on the floor were like, oh, thank you, Jesus, she's healed! And I was like, no, it's Dr. Singh, a chiropractor on, like, 4th Street, go! And um, they were disappointed, but I was not. Uh, and as I was standing there, God just spoke to me about how I had gotten really used to functioning dislocated. And he told me in that instant that his body of Christ was dislocated too. And it was about the generations being not connected to each other. And I was really shocked by that because I always thought, well, my church has people of all ages in my church, so I think we're fairly multi-generational. And I realized that the body of Christ, my body was technically all together, but it wasn't aligned and it wasn't functioning the way it was designed to function. And I think we in the church have gotten used to being dislocated from each other. We've gotten used to being around each other, but not connected to each other. And what God has for us, as us, as a body of Christ, as us, as if you belong to Jesus, if you have said to God, yes, God, I want you in my life, then you are instantly brought into a body that is called to love this world. And we're walking around dislocated. And I just want to bring you to 1 Corinthians 12. It's the, thing, it's the passage that um, many of you have heard a thousand billion times before. I'm going to read it to you anyways. Uh, it's, about, it's about how he's describing those who belong to God as having been a body. And I want you to listen to it. Often we listen to it as like, what are my skills and giftings? And how do I fit into everybody else? This time I want you to listen to it about the different generations being called to be together, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to whenever I feel like I want to stop. The body is a unit, although it's made up of many parts, and although all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. I would like to add old people or children, students, 30s and we were all given the one spirit to drink now the body is not made up of one part but of many if the foot should say because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body I don't know why the foot's southern um sorry <laughs> I'm just gonna go with it because that's the first accent that came to my head because I'm not part I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body it should not for that reason cease to be part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I'm going to keep going. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it. So there should be, listen to this, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
Now, I'm skipping forward to 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And I was so struck by that because our normal lives in Christian circles are very samey. I don't know if you sort of exist like that. If you're a child, you sort of show up, you're, you're part of church for a little bit, and then you go to the kids' ministry, and then you may come to a midweek group. But your life is sort of children with a few leaders. And if you're a student, sometimes you're, you exist in student ministry, and we've sort of become disconnected. Back in the day when we all lived in villages and everyone was like crammed 30 people to a house, life was multi-generational, and we were all in each other's space. But now our lives have become dislocated. We're next to each other, but we're not tied in. And we can't do everything that we're called to do if we're not tied in. This is a sort of new thing. If you look at Judges 2.10, I'm just going to read it to you. Don't worry about flipping to it. Um, the Israelites had finally gotten to a place where they had gotten into the promised land. God, they were slaves, sad. God brought them out, yay. Uh, they, were in the Isra- they were in Israel. No, they were wandering in the desert for a while. They got into their promised land. Nice. They kung fu'd their way to like own it all. Now they're like, great. And then it says this. These people had seen... The the oceans part, they had seen rivers part, they had seen plagues happen, they had seen so much. And then it says, they had seen Jericho fall, they had seen over and over and over again. And then it says here, Judges 2, 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had for done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Something got so dislocated between the generations that these people who saw like God do powerful, amazing, like things, the next generation that came up totally walked away. And that is scary to me. Because I don't see miracles on a regular daily basis, but I really, really, really want my kids to know and love God. And if they couldn't make it happen, what does it need from us? And I think it needs two things, and this is a clue. It says, they knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't know the Lord means they didn't have encounters with him. They hadn't met with God themselves, and they hadn't heard stories about him. You see, all throughout the Bible, they did stuff together. They encountered God side by side. So if you think about the Exodus, uh, they were all slaves, Israel sad, and then God was like, come on, let's come on out. And they didn't be like, all right, let's come everybody out. Old people, we've got a whole like uh, wheel section for you. And uh, children, we've got a craft and a little sticks for you all, and little hats. And uh, little 20s, we have a whole different section for you. They didn't segment them by generation so they could have their own experience of the Exodus. They just shoved everybody together and walked out following this massive pillar of fire that God had. They did it shoulder to shoulder. They came out. They went to the promised land together. There was a time when the kings were happening and Jehoshaphat was there and someone was coming to kill them all. And he was like, okay, everybody, come here, come here, come here. And it says in the Bible, children and babies and adults and old people all came together and they fell on their faces before God and they wept and asked God for what it was. Shoulder to shoulder, they did this. When they rebuilt the walls of Israel, it says children alongside adults did it. Over and over we see this. Jesus gathered people on the hills 
There was no like separate little kids section. Uh, they just did it. Jesus taught them all, and they all got food because they stole some kids' lunch. I mean, he gave it, but you know, like bread and fish. It was great. Uh, they, when Paul was writing to all of the um, house groups, he talked to children directly because children were going to be a part of it. They all did things side by side together. For us, as a church to flourish, we need to do it together. But I find what happens when we talk about generations is we, we plug people into children, teenagers, 20s and 30s, and people, and, and older people. <laughs> For some reason, there's no like 40s and 50s section, you know what I mean? I feel like you should demand that, but. And so we think when we talk about passing something on to the next generation, we think we've become adults, now it's all about the kids. And I really felt as I was praying about tonight that in order for all of us to flourish in faith and for all of us to flourish in church, we need to have these two things. We need to have side-by-side -side experiences with people of different ages, and we need the stories of the generation above us. And that doesn't mean when we turn 22, we're done with hearing all of that, and we're done with receiving all of that. I really believe that some of us feel so disconnected from a community, and we feel alone and isolated, and part of that is because of this reason, because we need each other, and it's okay to say that we need each other. It's okay to say that actually, I need somebody to take me to lunch every Sunday. I remember being 23 at, at, um, at uni, and all I wanted was somebody to just take me out to lunch every Sunday. <laughs> I really needed that. I was alone. I needed somebody wiser than me who would just sweep me up and let me take a nap on their couch and, and let me be loved as someone who was being taken care of because I felt like I was just existing in isolation. That's okay. That's part of the body of Christ. It's what we're called to do. We're called to do life side by side along each other. And if you're feeling lonely, this is part of the reason why. It's okay to have that need. That's why we're in a church, so that we can sweep each other up and take care of each other like this. Does that make sense? And so yes, let's remember that. Whatever age we are, it's okay to, to want to crave to be around people who are older and younger than us because there's something special about it. There's something special about it. Younger people need you. They need you to create space. And this is not just younger people as in 20 years younger. I have one student that I, I was 21 and he was 13 and I sort of just let him come around my house and with the youth and he kept coming and then my husband joined and it was, we just had this thing and he is now 32, has three babies, I'm his godparent. He is the godparent to my child, but he was just someone, I wouldn't say he was part of the younger generation that I invested in. He was someone younger than me that I invited to do life as part of our family. And it flourished for a lifetime. It could be someone five years younger than you, but create space for them to join you in their life. If you run a home group, let the kids stay up late and listen to your fantastic stories. If you're going grocery shopping, talk to the kid, talk to the, gro to the neighbors next to you and be like, I'm going grocery shopping, anyone want in the car? And let them pile in and let them be loved by someone who isn't just their parents. Be people who are constantly looking for those younger than you so that they can come along side by side. Because when they're side by side, when we are side by side, we see something of God in each other and each other's journey that is absolutely wonderful. Who can you side by side with? Who younger than you, whether it's two years younger than you or 20 years younger than you, who can you create space to let in your realm so that you could do side by side stuff together? 
It's so, so important. I remember being a child and, my, and we would go, my parents would have like, my parents' friends, and we would have to go over and we'd just be like so bored. But when I was there, what I would be in the kitchen, I'd be in the kitchen like trying to get a drink and I would hear Terry crying um, to my mom because um, her mom was dying of, of no, she just got sick. There was something. And Terry was talking about how she was processing that with God. And I remember just freezing in the kitchen and just standing and listening. And evidently they knew I was there. And I was like nine. And I just, I just listened in fascination to how these two people were talking about fear and God. And it was, it was wonderful. They could have absolutely shut up and not let me listen to it until I left. But they kept talking. And it taught me something about friendship and God and all sorts of stuff. Invite people into your space. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Number two is um, let them hear your stories. This generation that Judge is, is talking about was a generation that was raised. These parents had amazing stories, amazing stories. And somehow they didn't tell them. And we, I always used to judge them. I used to be like, how dare you not tell the stories? When was the last time you told a God story to someone younger than you? I know, <laughs> right? I was like, oh gosh, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks. It's maybe been a couple of months. We have all these wonderful stories that we often keep to ourselves and tell to our close friends. But there are generations below us and a, that need to hear our stories. And that just isn't children. I, every day, am desperate to hear stories of people older than me. I really want to know. Best time in my life, I was in hospital for a pulmonary embolism, and I got put in the wing of all the 70-year-old women. And wow, they have some stories. And we're bored in hospital, so everyone was telling some pretty racy stories. And it was fascinating to learn all about what happens when you're 70, and, and what I can look forward to, and what the stresses are, and how they're coping with it, and family stuff. And, and it, was, it was amazing. I felt so full when I left that place, because they were vulnerable enough to tell real stories real stories. In Deuteronomy 4, um, we get this clue of how we're to tell stories to the next generation, how we're to talk about God to the next generation. I'm going to read it to you. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. It says this. These commandments, uh, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Basically says, in the ordinary, boring, mindless bits of life, talk about God because that's where he is. God is in the ordinary, everyday, boring bits of life. And in those places, he is glorious and kind and miracles, and he, he moves in the ordinary everyday, and it's beautiful. And I, as a church worker, have no access to that in the lives of kids. Parents do, which is why parents are the primary disciplers. They can tell those stories when they're standing in the grocery shop or waiting for the other kid to get out of the car. They can, they can tell those stories. They can share their life. But rather than just say, let's tell a Bible story, what kids need, what I need, what we all need from the generation above us is an actual window into real, gritty life. I remember when I... Um, 
uh, we really struggled with fertility. And so I, we tried for five years, couldn't have a kid, got pregnant, hey. And, uh, and then um, into the pregnancy, we uh, lost it. And I remember I had to preach. I, I lost it. I lost, um, his name was Grace. Uh, I lost him three days before I had to preach on Mothering Sunday, which is a kicker when you have to do that. And, uh, and I just stood up and I thought, oh man. And so I, sh- I shared the story. I said, I'm really struggling today because uh, I just lost the baby that we had been promised and I don't really know what's going on. And uh, I, I just shared my story. And after church, the generations above me, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years above me, all came around me and they sat me down and they just, for an hour after church, told me the stories of their journeys of it. And some of them got pregnant, some of them didn't get pregnant, some of them are still devastated by it. We wept, we cried together, and as I did that, um, a girl 10 years younger than me came up, she had the same, I had polycystic ovaries, uh, the same, came up and she sat down, she goes, is this my future? And she sat, and older generations, and me and her, all talked about how we're processing it with God, and now I tell this story to my son about how he has a brother that is in heaven, we're gonna meet him when we get there, and generation upon generation upon generation have talked openly and authentically and vulnerably with each other about what God looks like in mundane moment of loss. We need those stories We don't need perfect stories. We need your stories. No matter how broken you are, how weird you are on the journey, how far back you feel, how triumphant you are, your stories are valuable because they're real and they're with God. If you are co-journeying with God, then you have valuable, valuable wisdom and experience and connection that you can offer those younger than you and, well, to everybody of all ages, but particularly those younger than you who don't know the future need those stories from you. You are needed. You are needed, you are needed to just be you on your journey and let someone else have a sight into it. Please be willing to share those vulnerable bits because when we do, we begin to connect again. We begin to join up. We get the strength of story. We get the strength of seeing what a real life with God looks like. And then we can bear a greater sense of his presence and a greater sense of getting out there in the world and saying we are broken, vulnerable people who share our lives with each other of all ages. Come be a part of us. Come meet the God that knits us together no matter how different we are. So when we talk about faith in generations... We aren't just saying, hey, we should all be nice to kids. We're saying no matter what our ages are, we as people of God need each other to do life side by side. We need each other's stories and vulnerability so we can see who God looks like in other people's lives so we can learn from them. One um, 92-year-old guy, his name was George. He went to my church. Um, I went to a church that had no children's ministry, so it was just me and 80 people. And uh, I loved it because I had 80 people who all loved me. And uh, I was like, hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, George was fantastic. And he, he, um, he would always sit next to me, and he'd pat his little thing, and he'd give me a mint. Excellent. And uh, I'd get a mint, and he would ask me questions about my week. And, uh, and then he, uh, he got cancer, and he, and he went on his dying process. And rather than just go away from me, he would would sit and he'd talk to me about it. How are you doing, George? Well, we got another bad news today and I am not sure God's going to heal me this time, but we keep praying and it makes me sad sometimes because I really wanted to see you grow up. And he would just talk to me about it. And he then, when he was too ill to come to church, he would write me notes. And, um, and I watched up close someone die with God who loved God deeply. He was so wise. And so when I got cancer last year, um, when the word cancer came into my life, I instantly 
was like, okay, I know how to do this. I know if this is going to kill me, I have seen somebody do this, and I've seen it be peaceful and messy, and I know who God is in those last moments, and I, I know who God is in this journey because someone was willing to share that with me. This body of Christ stuff is a gift. Let's open our lives to those younger than us. And yes, that means children and young people. That means those who are younger than us. That means letting them in our spaces, letting them in our lives. Let's let ourselves be vulnerable and share our journeys so that we can learn from each other. So that generation upon generation upon generation can see God move. And generation upon generation upon generation can raise generations, who will invest in generations, who will invest in generations. So like that song, God is enthroned upon the praises of thousands of generations. And we can see the generations who have yet to know him, meet him, and be transformed. Can I pray for us? Oh, that's very kind of you. Oh, that makes me feel all loved. Thank you. Oh, now they have to hug you. Now you have to all get hugs after church. That makes me feel really loved. Uh, right. Oh, I'm going to pray for you now. Uh, right. Um, in no way was that the notes that I wrote now. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, I was praying for you, and I really felt like I wanted to switch that because God has such a heart for this group of people. And, um, and there is something... There's, I, just kept, I just kept hearing over and over as I was praying for you guys. They need each other. I've designed them for each other. And, uh, and so I just want to pray for you, really. Uh, and, uh, yeah. God, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you how random this batch of people is from all different walks of life, from all different ages. And yet, you have gathered us together in you. I thank you that when we say yes to you, you surround us with a community of people so that we are not alone. And God, we have gotten used to being dislocated and feeling like that's okay. We can survive like that. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts that that's not good enough anymore. But that not one of us would be lonely, but that we would vibrate with a purpose of knowing that we are needed and that we need others and that is how we are designed. I feel like there's some lies that some of us have been believing that have stopped us from investing in each other in the younger generations. Some of you feel like I can't invest in people younger than me because I'm not a parent. That's a lie. Some of you believe that you can't invest in those because you're not perfect yet, you haven't achieved the perfect spirituality and you're just not good enough, that's a lie. Your brokenness is beautiful and through your cracks God shines. Some of you believe because I'm not a child, I don't have a right to say I need someone to invest in me. That's a lie. You are a child of the living God no matter how old you are and he has designed you to have people older than you cover you and love you and input into you. God, I just pray that you would build a community here, that you would turn our hearts towards each other, that we may love each other and see each other that you would break down those walls that cause us to be disconnected, that you would just come along as the chiropractor and just pop us into place, that we may delight in each other and that we may be willing to invite others into our lives, imperfect as they are, knowing that in our imperfectness, you shine. And so God, I pray that you would break down all fear 
I pray that you would break down all self-consciousness. I pray that you would right now bring to our minds people, children, young people, those younger than us, that you are calling us to invite in in little ordinary ways. And I'm just going to wait because I feel like God's going to bring names and faces to you right now. God, impress those names and faces on our hearts that next time we see them, something will leap inside of us and, we'll f- and give us that way to invite. And then I also, God, right now, I pray that you would pop in our minds people that are older than us, that, that will have stories that we need. Sometimes we always feel like we have to be looking down. But God, I pray that you would just raise our eyes to, to, to make our hearts sensitive to those who are older than us, who have stories that we can go and say, hey, tell me the story. How did you get involved in that? That we can seek after, that we may have that covering and that love. Make us bold, God. Fill us with courage that we may do this well. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've ever um, gone swimming in a pool, uh, but when you go into a pool, we all have different personalities in getting into a pool. If you've ever been on holiday, uh, we have the sort of, uh, I'm going to tiptoe in approach. Um, Who's a tiptoer into the pool approach? Okay, right. You all know who you are. You're like, I'm going to tiptoe in, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. Uh, You have the people who are like, you take one step in and you go, oh, this is cool. And then you stand there for a long time? Who's the get one step in and then stand for a long time? Yes, I'm just going to wait till I get used to it, and then I'll go deeper, and then scream, and then stand there. Uh, And some of you are the, I'm just going to jump in like, oh, it's just one piece of pain. I just want you to reflect how many, who's the jumper inners, just so that we know. Okay, those are the people who are all of a sudden going to be all over this. Okay, put your hands down. I just want you to know that just like a pool, all of us are going to respond to us differently. Some of you are like, this is absolutely correct. I will now host a life group in my life, and I'm going to invite everybody in. You jumper inners, you go for it. Some of you will be the tiptoers that you're like, I'm going to talk to one person younger than me for the next six months, and I'm going to do that. Fine. Some of you are, I'm just going to stand to get used to it. That's okay. All of those journeys are acceptable, because as long as you are moving into the pool, that's fine. So you and God figure out what your next steps are because the pool is worth it. It's a lot of fun in here in the community pool. Not, that was not the last sentence I wanted to say to you. <laughs> but I'm just going to leave it. You know what I mean, chiropractor. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to hand Yep, smooth. Dignity. Always dignity. 